1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. So this is the second of a two-part episode on Henry Hudson. So to catch anybody back up, if you don't recall exactly where we left off, Hudson and his men were in the midst of their third voyage. Uh, we should be clear that it was not all the same men from the previous two voyages. He had a lot of turnover, but a couple that remained consistent throughout, including his son, John. Uh, they had made it to North America after having some uh, failure at trying to navigate the waters north of Russia in an effort to find a passage to uh, Asia. And so they are in North America. They are traveling aboard their ship, the Half Moon. They are mapping the coast from Nova Scotia and inlets further south. And at the point we pick up, they are in the rivers around what would eventually become New York.
1: The crew of the Half Moon made a series of successful trades with Native Americans. They were trading knives and beads in exchange for things like tobacco and corn. On September 6th, Hudson sent crewman John Coleman and several other men on a mission to sound another nearby river. According to Jewett's journal, the expedition played out this way. The lands told us they were as pleasant with grass and flowers and goodly trees as ever they had seen, and very sweet smells came from them. So they went in two leagues and saw an open sea and returned. And as they came back, they were set upon by two canoes, the one having 12, the other 14 men. The night came on and it began to rain so that their match went out and they had one man slain in the fight, which was an Englishman named John Coleman with an arrow shot into his throat and two more hurt. It grew so dark that they could not find the ship that night, but labored to and fro on their oars. They had so great a stream that their grapnel would not hold them. So, yeah, they're
0: caught in current. They can't really anchor uh, and they're just kind of floating about, trying to stay away from shore, not sure where their ship is. And this entry leaves out whatever may have motivated or catalyzed this conflict that they had with the Native Americans who are said to have attacked them in these two canoes. It could have been the result of the ill behavior that had been going on prior to this. As we mentioned in the last episode, the crew of the Half Moon did some pretty horrible things to the Native Americans they encountered along the way. They would sort of trade with them in some cases, and in other cases, they would set fire to things and steal all their stuff. Uh, they had even kidnapped some Native Americans, although it appears that most of them, if not all, were able to escape in some way or another. So we don't know if those previous events caused this problem or if they could have been some sort of incident that happened during this sounding mission, like an isolated incident during that. And so no mention is ever made of motive. We don't know really why all this went down.
1: The surviving men got back to the half moon the next day and they had their slain comrade with them. Coleman was buried and then the exploration continued. And it's during this time, which was the first half of September 1609, that Henry Hudson ventured into the wide river that would eventually be named after him.
0: Hudson continued down the river thinking this could be that elusive passage to the Pacific Ocean that he thought, North America would have through it. But once the waterway became too shallow to continue, uh, they were exploring throughout. There are many, many detailed uh sort of lists and surveys that were going on and accounts of this that were we're not getting into the nitty gritty details because it becomes sort of a, a list show at that point. Um but eventually they realized they could not go any further because of these shallow waters they were hitting and that they were just gonna have to turn back and call this a successful voyage.
1: On October 4th, 1609, Henry Hudson headed back to Europe. The half moon arrived in Dartmouth on November 7th, and it's unclear why Hudson decided to go to England rather than Holland. And there's been some speculation through the years that maybe he was actually working as a spy for the English interests while funding his explorations with Dutch money and Dutch maps.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things that people really like to... um you know, kind of put forth theories about that he may have been working as a spy all along. He may have been attempting to regain favor with the English after his first two failed missions by completing this mission, you know, under the auspices of being a Dutch company's ship. But really, no, really, I was getting stuff for you guys all along. We just don't know. But it is sort of odd that he was like, hey, let's go to Dartmouth and uh, go to the port there instead of heading to Amsterdam. And while the while Hudson and his crew were living on the half moon as it sat there in port in dartsmouth Hudson had written to his bosses at the Dutch East India Company, proposing a new mission to find a northwest passage. He was really pretty chuffed by the things he had gotten to explore in North America. And when the DEIC directors received Hudson's missive, they immediately sent word that he should con- continue to Amsterdam immediately.
1: There was a problem. The ship was detained at port by English authorities. Hudson and the other Englishmen on the crew were to be seized and forbidden to work with the Dutch any longer or ever again. Sailing under another nation's flag was basically treason. So the half moon and all the Dutch sailors aboard were sent back home. And
0: before we uh, get to sort of how this plays out and how Hudson manages to launch one more voyage, uh, do you want to take a word from a sponsor? Yes. Yes.
1: just being me.
0: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. So, back to Henry Hudson. Uh, despite the shame of having sailed under a Dutch flag, at least in the eyes of his uh, English countrymen, Hudson's reputation was actually a little bit better in England than it had been after his second voyage. And this was thanks to this successful exploration he had had along the North American coast, and his encounters with the natives in the area, even though they were pretty horrible to the natives in a lot of cases. And unlike in 1608, he was able to get backing for another trip.
1: Sir Thomas Smythe, who served as governor and treasurer of both the Virginia Company and the English East India Company, bankrolled the voyage, along with Sir Dudley Diggs and John Wollstenholme. A new company, the Company of Gentlemen, was formed by the three backers, plus Prince Henry under which the mission would be carried out. And as interest grew, uh, other backers tried to get in on the action also.
0: Yeah, once there were some wealthy guys and a prince involved in this whole thing, it seemed like it surely it was going to be lucrative. So other investors did try to jump on that bandwagon. Uh, the company of gentlemen purchased a ship called the Discovery for the voyage. She was larger than any of Hudson's previous vessels. And so Hudson and his crew sailed from England in April 1610. Robert Jewett was once again on board. This was a choice that would eventually be Hudson's undoing, uh, as well as his son John once again. And this crew included 23 men. It was the largest that Hudson had ever commanded. And the send-off was quite grand, thanks in no small part to the prince's involvement in this venture.
1: The ship made a stop in Gravesend, where crew member Master Colburn was dropped off and Henry Green was picked up to replace him. Colburn had been assigned by the backing merchants as an advisor. And while Hudson is said to have sent a letter to his backers explaining his reasons for making the switch, that information has never been made public.
0: No, and in uh, Hudson's journals on it, he basically just says, oh, I put that guy in a small boat and sent him back to London. He doesn't discuss the reasons. Uh, but Green, the man that they picked up after they had dropped off Colburn... Was basically trouble. Uh, he was a gambler, he was a troublemaker, he was known as a roustabout. He had known Hudson prior to the voyage, and he was actually listed as a passenger rather than a crewman. Uh, by mid-May though, Green had already been causing problems on the ship. He got into a fistfight with the ship's surgeon in May, and Hudson immediately came to his defense and talked about what a hothead the surgeon had. But the rest of the crew backed up the surgeon, and this sort of seeded some problems.
1: Jewett started openly speculating that Hudson had brought Green on specifically as a spy to keep an eye on the crew, which raised the tensions even further. While Hudson threatened to put Jewett off the ship, there was never any actual punishment for this insubordination. As with
0: previous voyages, there was a great deal of ice to contend with. Uh, I had said in the first episode, this will be an ongoing theme, and it does indeed happen every time. Uh, as you may have also guessed from our discussion of the pre- previous three voyages, tacking back and forth in icy water and getting nowhere uh, while the conditions are miserable just to physically be in
1: does not really make for a super delighted crew. By July 7th, the crew was near mutiny, and at this point they'd rounded the tip of Greenland and attempted to enter what's now Hudson Strait. It was called the Furious Overfall at the time. And they dithered around in that area trying to figure out how to get through or around all the ice. They eventually got to what's now called Hudson Bay, west of Quebec. But they were in a constant struggle and not making any sort of real headway.
0: Yeah, they were really just kind of it seemed to many people drifting to and fro. Uh, on July 16th, Hudson finally had this revelation, apparently, that he was in a bay that was a dead end and not, in fact, some sort of passage through North America. So he decided to head north in an attempt to get out of this dead end bay. Back into the furious overfall with the Discovery. And this is an incredibly difficult area to pass through, even for ships that know where they're going Uh, And Hudson basically spent the next month and a half getting lost and going back and forth a month and a half.
1: When September arrived, Discovery was in James Bay, and this is a smaller bay at the southern tip of Hudson Bay. The crew was just beyond angry. Jewett challenged Hudson and the pair's ongoing tension finally just hit a boiling point. Hudson ordered that Jewett be tried for mutiny and demoted him.
0: Yeah, and with that demotion, he took away a lot of his pay and gave it to somebody else, which you can imagine how delightfully that went. Uh On September 10th, there were testimonies heard regarding Jewett's intentions and his behaviors, and it was all really pretty damning. Uh Crew members, even those that basically got along with Jewett, had been listening to him threaten Hudson and almost everyone else on board in some way or another for the entirety of the journey. And so everybody, a lot of people had bad things to say about Jewett's actions, even if they weren't necessarily against him, so to speak. But it was as though Hudson knew sort of like, hey, I need every possible man. We're, we're still struggling. So he offered Jewett and any of his supporters pardon in exchange for the promise of good behavior from that point on.
1: Once all the furor over the mutiny trial died down, Hudson may have gained some points with some of the crew. But the men at this point were at odds with each other, and Hudson quickly squ- squandered any goodwill that he'd gotten with them by continuing to meander around James Bay for the next two months. And that basically sentenced the entire group to be stuck there through another freeze. And as October came to a
0: close, uh, Hudson sent two of his men ashore to see if they could find a place to live out the winter. They ended up camping near the mouth of the Nottoway River, which was utterly miserable for them. One account written by Crewman Prickett states, quote, to speak of all our trouble would be too tedious. Uh, and before we get into this winter of misery, because it really was quite awful, uh, do you want to do a word from a sponsor? Because it seems odd to stick it in the middle of a lot of horrible things happening.
1: Let's do that. Could just be a
0: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. So, uh, as we were saying before we went into our sponsor break, from November 3rd of 1610 to June of 1611, the Discovery, Hudson and his entire crew were stuck in the freezing cold. And it is not a big jump of logic to suspect that things went horribly.
1: In the middle of November, one of the crew died of exposure and had to be buried in a shallow grave because the soil was too frozen to dig an actual grave. When Henry Green, the gambling troublemaker who we mentioned earlier, said that he wanted the dead crewman's coat, Hudson gave it to him, and this was a problem.
0: Yeah, normally when a crewman died, uh, his belongings would be auctioned and the proceeds of those sales would be given to his family when the ship returned to port. This would have been the honorable way to handle it uh, in terms of like tradition of the wayfarers. And when Hudson handed over the deceased's coat to Green, the crew was incensed. He had basically completely thrown out all of their usual protocols. And moreover, he had given the coat to a person that was not even a crew member Just this guy who was kind of a pain in the neck to begin with.
1: Then Hudson ordered Staff, who was the ship's carpenter, to build them a house on shore. So Staff told him, number one, that was impossible, and number two, he was not a house carpenter. And Hudson struck him and threatened to have him hanged. The two of them eventually cooled off, and Staff did build a makeshift house. But he also became friends with Green, which really seemed to infuriate Hudson.
0: And so this starts to really read like a playground argument, except when you consider the fact that these people are starving, they are freezing and like their lives are basically at stake. Uh, it really puts a kind of startling perspective on the whole thing. So Hudson took the coat that he had given Green back and instead he gave it to crewman Robert Bylot. Like he was mad that Green was now friends with this carpenter who had made him angry before. Uh, And Green and Hudson had a massive fight about it. Some pretty ugly insults about Green's personal life were exposed and thrown about by Hudson. Uh, Remember, they had been friends prior to this. They knew each other. And after this point, that was pretty much the end of their friendship. They were never friends again.
1: Once this shelter was built, there was a decent stab at survival going on. The men were able to shoot about a 100 dozen birds for food. And catch a lot of fish. But after a few months, all of the animals had either migrated to warmer areas or already been eaten.
0: And so as winter wore on, they were running out of food, and a lot of the men developed scurvy from malnutrition.
1: At one point, uh, one of the area natives came to trade with them and brought pelts but no food. And Hudson made a fairly demanding trade. And while the native acquiesced and sort of suggested that he would be back, he never came back again.
0: And in a desperate attempt to get more food, Hudson actually took a small boat out with a net and attempted to fish. Incidentally, that same boat had been sort of uh the focus of some plans by some of the men to just run and strike out on their own. they were like, let's just take the boat and go. We're going to leave these guys and do our own thing. We have a better chance of survival. But Hudson took the boat out. Uh, to try to get some fish. And he also tried to make contact with the natives in the area. Uh, But when the Native Americans saw him coming, they apparently set fire to the woods so that he could not approach.
1: At this point, the ice was cracking and melting, and the crew started gathering supplies to leave. They were also collecting wood and water and materials to use as ballast. And as June
0: came and the discovery was at last ready to leave North America and return home, Hudson, reportedly weeping, distributed the remaining food that they had left evenly among the men. And several of the men, including Green, who was a troublemaker, uh, consumed their rations far too quickly. And then, when they were out of their own food, they accused Hudson of hoarding additional food for himself.
1: Some of the men came forward to say they had seen additional food that had not been distributed. But Hudson showed the rest of the food to the crew, and it hadn't been distributed because it was spoiled and rancid. But even so, the tensions only got worse.
0: So after the ship was able to make way, Hudson then made what seems like a really odd decision. It appears that instead of heading straight back to England, which is what every man on board wanted, he wanted to try again to find a northwest passage to the Pacific, he also seemed to kind of want to dither around in James Bay. Uh, and this has actually led to some theories that there was a whole separate secondary plot going on, uh, that he was looking for something specific, such as treasure of some sort, possibly as a secret mission from his bosses back home, possibly based on some other information he had received. Because some historians will say, no, it looks like he was really pretty methodically like sounding this coastline, Over and over in four passes. And that comes up a couple different times where he makes what looks like four passes through weird areas. Like, why would you just be hanging out there? So there are some that think there was actually a method to his madness. But quite frankly, it could also just as easily be the poor decisions of a man that had been addled by an incredibly grueling year.
1: Regardless of the reasons for his admittedly odd choices, they were just too much for the crew, and a full-on mutiny took place on July twenty second, 1611. Henry Hudson, his son John, and seven others were put on a boat and left to fend for themselves.
0: And as that boat was set adrift, Hudson is said to have called back to one of the mutineers that they should beware of Jewett. But the man shouted back that it had not been Jewett, but in fact had been Green that led the mutiny. Uh So it was apparently Hudson's friend who had turned on him, who really turned on him. Uh, and for a while, the small boat that Hudson and his son and these other men were in attempted to follow the discovery just using ore power. But once the ship gained some speed and the sails were fully deployed, that was a pretty fruitless effort.
1: The mutineers immediately went in search of the food that they still believed Hudson had been hoarding, but they only found a very few paltry items.
0: And initially, Green was the leader of the mutineers once they had dumped their commander Hudson. But it really didn't matter very much. Uh, Before long, they had run afoul of Native Americans that they encountered and of each other. Uh, There was a lot of infighting. Green, along with several other mutineers, was killed in one of many skirmishes that they had with Native Americans. Jewett eventually died of starvation on the voyage home once they had kind of cleared North America and were headed out across this, the uh, Atlantic Ocean. And all of the ringleaders in this mutiny perished before they could return to England.
1: Eight survivors made it to Ireland on September 6, 1611. They sold their cable and anchor there for food, and all of them were really close to death from starvation. They had subsisted for the last leg of their journey on bird bones fried in candle grease, and the birds, which were mostly gulls, had all been consumed long before. The remaining men finally got home to London on October 20th, after one year, four months, and three weeks away.
0: And all of those men were charged with mutiny, all of the surviving men. But the trial didn't take place for nearly seven years. so It was 1618 before the trial started. And in that time, several of the men had already died. Uh, the rest, seemingly just because at that point it was a hassle and it, there really wasn't much to go on, uh, were acquitted and freed.
1: Although two of the men returned to North America to try to f- uh, find a Hudson or any other members of the party they abandoned, nothing was ever found, and it's presumed that they all died of exposure.
0: Yeah, there are actually some folk tales that have built up around it. There's one tale that I think it's, um, I may be wrong, I'm doing this from memory. It, I did not put it in my notes. I think it's an Inuit tale that there was a a young English child found in a boat that then was raised uh, Inuit, and some people have speculated that that is, in fact, John Hudson. But that's really, there's no evidence. It's all just folklore at that point. And there are a few other folklorist-style tales about, no, the men survived and they settled. and But we really don't have any evidence to back that up. It's just sort of uh, fun speculation at that point. So Henry Hudson was never successful at finding a passage to Asia. But his exploration of North America is often credited with catalyzing interest and colonization for both Dutch and English settlers. His name, as many of you listening probably know, has not only been given to bodies of water, but also schools, towns, you can find it on bridges, and there are memorials to these men throughout the U.S. and Canada. So while he was not really a success in his primary mission, he did leave quite a legacy. Though we don't know what happened to him in the end.
1: There seems to be folklore surrounding just about every lost party of explorers. Uh, Oh, yeah. We recently uh, put up a link about the latest confirmation of uh, findings in what happened to Amelia Earhart. Yep. And somebody commented, I grew up in so-and-so, and and there's all kinds of local lore about a, a woman who came to live with us after ditching an airplane. And then somebody replied, I live in so-and-so, and we have the exact same story.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of that, I think, is sort of the, um, there's a wishful thinking element to it. You want to think that these guys survived. And in, like, the case of Amelia Earhart, that that woman survived. You want to think that people make it through these horrible times. But But, you know, often that is probably not the case. Although it is all, you never know, you know. Uh, I tend to be an Occam's razor kind of girl where the most likely explanation is probably what happened. I imagine they died of exposure. That is a rough part of the world to just be set adrift alone in with no supplies. Uh, but on to more delightful things. Uh, I have a couple pieces of listener mail. So the first one is from our listener, Colleen, and she uh, sent us this lovely little booklet, which is included in a note card. And I it made me giggle because Colleen, you and I use the exact same note cards. They have kitties on them. <laughs> it just says something to whet your appetites to do a little research on this topic. Don't let the poor writing in the booklet fool you. It's an interesting and inspired chapter in our history, and the museum is great. Uh, and it is about women pilots of World War Two. And it is a really cute little booklet, and what I really like is that there are lots of great photographs. And uh, it makes me want to do uh, more vintage... Adorable uh, bomber jackets and cute outfits. And there's also um, one of the things that really struck me in this booklet is an image of uh, this mascot called Fifi. And it was designed by Walt Disney Studios as the Wasp mascot. So the mascot of women pilots related to my Disney love. I love that. Uh, we also got this amazing calendar from one of our listeners. It is from our listener, Yvonne. Yvonne. And she, um, I won't read her whole letter because it's a little bit lengthy, but I wanted to talk about the calendar a bit. First of all, she has a daughter named Robin who uh, is in the service, so I wanted to thank Robin for her service. Uh, and also, she sent us this great calendar because it is it is related to her daughter Sarah's work as a roller derby girl. So Sarah's a roller girl, and her group, which is the Hellgate Roller Girls, did this calendar for 2014, and they did it all as... Um, all of the pictures are them posing as women in history and they're really wonderful. There's like sort of really cute ones. There's one that's an Audrey Hepburn style breakfast at Tiffany's photo. There's a boudica in there. There is a Joan of Arc. They're all really, really lovely and I just love it. So thank you Vaughn. It made Tracy and I just giggle with delight as we were flipping through the calendar. Uh, and I also wanted to mention, we got a letter from our listener Mac And he wrote about our Halloween candy episode uh, and how it made him think about his mom who would dress as a witch and serve Kool-Aid to trick-or-treaters on Halloween. And he actually lost his mother recently. So I wanted to send my condolences and say that I am glad we could help you with some happy memories during this time. So uh, if you would like to write us, you can do so. If you want to send us crazy and wonderful things like these people have that is cool or just share personal stuff with us. Also cool. Uh you can do that at history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com You can also visit us at Mist in History on Twitter. You can go to Facebook.com slash in History or Mistinhistory.tumbler.com. We're also at Pinterest.com slash mist in history. And you can visit our spreadshirt store if you would like to purchase stuff you missed in history class related items, such as shirts, cups, tote bags, etc. Uh that is at Mistinhistory. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today, you can go to our parent site, how stuff works and type in the words Henry Hudson in the search bar. You will get articles on Hudson Bay and Hudson river. Uh, so those are related to him, of course. And if you want to visit us at MistInHistory.com, that would be grand. We have all of our back episodes there as well as show notes for all the episodes uh, that have happened in the last year and a half or so since Tracy and I came on and We encourage you to visit both HowStuffWorks.com and MistInHistory.com for your researching and just general knowledge needs.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people